Today, we're going to a parable that was just read to you in Luke chapter 7. It is the parable of the two debtors. You know, one of the things that we learn from looking at the parables each week is when Jesus says, when he says, I have something to tell you, you should run. Because Jesus is about to lob a grenade. I mean, like a spiritual and an intellectual and emotional grenade. And with Jesus, there are no duds, by the way. They always go off. And so here is Jesus, and he's been invited, you can see from the text, into the home of Simon, who is a Pharisee. Now, I want for you all to keep in mind that the Pharisees were the rich, and they also were the religious leaders, the church leaders. And Jesus was more critical of Pharisees than anyone else. As a result, usually, Pharisees wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But Simon was special. Because, see, Simon uniquely was interested in Jesus. He was a little bit like the Pharisee Nicodemus in John's Gospel, chapter 3. He wanted to learn a little bit more about Jesus. So, you see, with Simon, there was a curiosity or a special interest. So, what does he do? He invites Jesus into his home. And it says, he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclines at the table, and he eats. Because, by the way, they didn't sit on chairs. So, I just want you to get a picture of the story when they ate, they reclined on couches. So when you go with us to Israel one of these years, Pastor Steve just mentioned last week, you can go this coming next trip, but, but when you plan to go with us, there's actually a moment where we eat on couches like this and we just recline. I gotta tell you, it's totally uncomfortable. It's terrible. But it's a good experience at least once or twice. So they lean, and usually what they do is they lean on one elbow to the left, they would eat with their right, because your right hand is the hand of honor, and their feet then were not under their table. The feet is up on the couch. And here's what we're told. We're told that a woman, it says, came to his feet, you can see. And as she stood behind him, she was weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. Now, this woman, this woman is a sinner. She is a woman of ill repute. She was a prostitute. So, when you read the story, you see that Simon immediately says, hey, this guy Jesus, he says he's divine. Well, if he's divine, he would know who this woman was, and he wouldn't have anything to do with her. Now, Jesus perceives that Simon not only disapproves, but he also understands that Simon believes that well, this proves this man is not a prophet from heaven. It proves this man isn't who he says he was. Now, guys, this forces a question that each of us have to contend with. What do you do when the Jesus that's in front of you, whatever it is he's allowing to happen or doing, what do you do when he doesn't live up to your expectations? What do you do with the Jesus who doesn't quite act the way you think he ought to act. What does that do to your devotion toward that Jesus? Of course, Jesus then turns to Simon, and so what does he say? He says, Simon, I have a story to tell you, and he talks about two debtors, two people who owed a lot of money to a certain money lender. 
Both of them owe the money lender. Now, this is important, guys, because you have to understand, if you can't pay the lender of the money, you're going to go to prison. And there was one debt to the lender of 500 denarii, which, anybody know how much that is? It's about a year's wages. And then there was 50, and that's about a month's wages. But the lender, Jesus says, forgives both. And Jesus says, Simon, who probably would be more in love with the lender? Who probably would be more filled with joy and adoration and devotion to the lender? And so what does Simon say? Do you remember? You can see it in your notes. You can see it here on the screen. He says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Now, guys, listen. This is where you and I really need to pay attention because Jesus turns to Simon and he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon, you and this woman are those two debtors. And this woman shows me love and this woman shows me devotion. And this woman, she actually shows me passionate worship. She has embraced me and she has loved me this way. And Simon, you have not. Why? And can you imagine what Simon's thinking here in this moment? Put yourself in Simon's shoes. He is a church leader. He is a religious leader. And if you're picturing it, just think about that. Because here we have two people... We have the woman and we have the Pharisee, and both want to see Jesus. Both have gone to effort to see Jesus. Both are in the presence of Jesus. Come on, listen. Both are listening to the teaching of Jesus, but one of them is transformed and changed. One of them has an eruption of love and joy, total devotion, but the other is detached and cool, interested, but not moved. One of them is affirmed and forgiven, while the other is sent away condemned and confused, maybe even a little miffed. I want to talk to you this morning about the differences between the two debtors and why these differences. Guys, listen to me. This is an incredible question that we're about to explore together from this text, and I hope that you just pray right now, God, let your let your words sink deeply into my heart because here's why. Listen, every one of you right now, every person that's watching this or in, the in this room, wherever you are, the question is, when you're in the presence of Jesus, how do you walk away from him? Are you like Simon or are you like this woman? Because you understand, these are two people that are seeking the exact same thing. They're listening to the exact same sermon. But one is detached and unaffected, and the other is totally transformed. Why? Now, here's the way I describe it. I'm going to go over these very quickly, but I want for you to catch this. Here's the reason why. Number one, let's look at some symptoms. Number one, here's what you notice. Write this down. One of them comes with their head, while the other comes with not just the head, but also the heart. In other words, Simon comes to Jesus. He's intellectual, totally intellectual, but he's absolutely detached. That kind of a way. Whereas this woman comes in with her whole being. She's exposed, and listen to me, this woman is vulnerable. Now, can you say the word vulnerable? That's a word you need to remember. It's the key to the whole thing. What is she? Vulnerable. Now, can you imagine, just think about this, Simon's reaction when Jesus says, Simon, why didn't you kiss me? Look at it. 
Simon, why didn't you hug me? You didn't give me any water for my feet. Simon, why didn't you weep over me when I came in? And Simon's look, looking at Jesus and Simon's saying, you're kidding, right? Jesus, I what do you want from me? I invited you into my home. We were having a nice little chat. What exactly, Jesus, did you expect me to do? Jesus looks at Simon and says, I'm looking for more than that. And I'm just going to say to you here today, if Jesus actually is who he says he is, he requires more than that. And it is fascinating. Here's why. Follow me. A lot of people wonder what a Christian is. If I asked you, for example, let's say we're sitting in my office and we're having coffee, and I said to you, tell me what a Christian is. You might say something like, well, a Christian is someone who's interested in Jesus. A Christian is someone who studies the teachings of Christ and engages with Christ. I'd say, okay, but you notice Simon actually did that. Simon invited him into the home. Now, both of these people, they're listening to Jesus. They're studying what he has to say. They show interest. They're both in church. But do you know what the woman actually proves from this parable? She proves that there's got to be a deeper response than just that. Let's go on. Number two, write this down. Here's what we notice, a symptom. One comes in total control. The other comes in commitment. Now, let's think about this for a second. You just look at Simon. When Simon's eating with Jesus, he comes to Jesus as an equal. He's having a conversation with Jesus. You know, he even judges Jesus a little bit. I mean, look at the text here. I mean, he says, you know, he should know better. If he knew who was touching him, now what is he doing? Listen to me, guys. Simon is interviewing Jesus. Simon is saying, Jesus, I've been looking at you. You do miracles. Jesus, you're very impressive. I've heard your teaching. You teach like no one I've ever heard. Tell me more. In other words, Simon comes to Jesus with this, Jesus, what can you really offer me that I don't have? Now, I'm going to say something to you, and I hope it's not offensive. If it is, too bad. <laughs> but I just want to say to you right now, in North American theology and in many, many churches, even now on a Sunday morning, there are a lot of teachers that teach a very strange theology that has to do with Jesus making your life better. We sort of interview Jesus to see what Jesus is going to do for me. I just came across a couple of titles, for example, of books. You can see them on the screen, you know, how Jesus is going to make me rich. Or Brian Houston wrote a book, You Need More Money, Discovering God's Amazing Financial Plan for Your Life. Why? Because it's all about you. Now, this is very common in North American theology. I'm just saying, watch out for this. And it's not just having to do with financial prosperity. There are all sorts of ways in which we do this. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But this is when you teach Jesus like you're interviewing him. Jesus is an applicant. You have interviews, you know, to see whether, whether, whether Jesus fits into your life. You know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was bumper stickers that were going around, and they were called Try God. Maybe you've seen these. In fact, I had one of these on my car, I'll admit. And uh, I understand the sentiment. It's like, man, you've tried everything else. Why not try God? But, I, guys, I guess I just want to say to you, Listen to me, Jesus isn't like one of those stores in the mall where you put out little samples that you just try them. That's not who, this is not who Jesus is. What makes, guys, I want you to think about a Christian for a minute. 
What makes for a real commitment? In fact, how do you know if you're really committed? I'm going to give you a definition. You want to know if you're committed? What's the word I told you to remember? Come on. What is it? All right, come on. Vulnerability. Now write this down. Commitment is putting your weight on someone to the point of your vulnerability. Just write that down. That's what commitment is. In other words, it involves trust. It involves reliance. And I'm going to tell you this. This is a bold statement, but I need you to hear me on it. Where there's no vulnerability, there really is no commitment. And if there's no real commitment, then there's actually no real relationship. Let me say that again. Where there's no vulnerability in your life, there's no commitment. You can't make a commitment to someone without making yourself vulnerable to them. And if there's no commitment, you can fool yourself, but there's no real relationship. Think about any relationship. Think about any relationship with any human being, and I'm telling you, if you're committing to someone, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You might be wounded. You might be wasted. You might be used, but it makes you vulnerable. Now stop. Go back to the parable. Where do we see the woman? The woman is at Jesus' feet. And she takes this, do you remember the story we just read? She takes this alabaster jar, takes her livelihood. By the way, what is this woman's career? What is she? She's a prostitute. You understand, her alabaster jar of perfume is the most valuable thing that she has. Why? She's a prostitute. They don't have showers in the first century. They don't have deodorant. The only thing that she has to make her alluring that anybody would want her is her alabaster jar. In fact, this is the livelihood of her career. So she's at the feet of Jesus with probably the alabaster jar. I mentioned this about a month ago. was the most valuable thing she had. She lays it at Jesus' feet. She doesn't just use it. She breaks it, never to be used again. Why? Write this down if you haven't. Because commitment is putting your weight on someone to the point of whose vulnerability? Yours. And look at me, men and women. Everybody in this room, everybody online, everybody listening right now, all of you have your own alabaster jar. You have that thing in your life that has come to define you. You have that thing in your life that is so important to you that you feel like you could never give up. You're maintaining control of it. And Jesus says, until you're willing to lay it at my feet to the point of vulnerability, you have to question your own commitment. Are you willing to put it at the feet of Jesus? Now, guys, there are some people, and I say that to you, you've got to give up control, and you just hate that. <laughs> It's like, oh, man, I, that's radical. And so you say to me, well, can't I just get Jesus into my life to give me a little peace and a little inspiration? And I'd say to you, but see, here's the problem. You're pulling a Simon. You're doing religion. What is the difference between a real Christian and not a real Christian? Come on. If I were to ask you that again, let's go back to it in a little different way. Let's look at the question differently. What is the difference between a real Christian and not a real Christian? You might say to me, well, the real Christian is moral and the non-Christian is immoral. I'd say, yeah, but Simon was actually the moral one. He kept the law. That doesn't really work. You might say to me, well, the Christian is someone who's interested in Jesus and talks about Jesus and studies Jesus. And I'd say, well, yeah, but Simon did that too. Are you with me? 
What is the difference between a real Christian and not a real Christian? What's the word? Vulnerability. Trust. I have entrusted myself over to Jesus to the point of my own vulnerability. Guys, listen to me. Do you know what Simon's problem is? Simon is insisting upon treating Jesus like he would treat any other guest. And if you're going to remember anything, remember this. Don't ever forget it. Jesus will not be treated like anyone else. He won't. Jesus will not be another thing in your life. You say, I have all these things in my life and church is one of them. No, you're doing religion. Everything is set at the feet of Jesus and it affects everything in your life. Jesus revolutionizes every aspect of your life. A lot of people, they come to Jesus and they say, they come to church, they say, okay, I'm interested in Jesus. I have my needs. I want to be a better parent. You say, I want to get over this addiction. You say, I want to get out of this financial trouble. And I'm going to tell you, walking with Jesus does help with things in life because Jesus teaches human people how to live. But that is not what it's about. And if that's all you're coming to Jesus for, it's only religion. Why? It's conditional. You're saying, I'm allowing Jesus to serve my need so that I can get better. See, that's religion. Which leads to the third thing here. We're looking at the symptoms. Write this down. One of these people are coming to Jesus religious while the other is coming repentant. Now, guys, I need you to think about this for a minute. How do you know you're religious? I'm going to dig a little deep. Have I offended anybody yet? Let's dig a little deeper here for a second. How do you know you're religious? A religious person will say something like, they'll, you know, they'll say something like, you know, I, I've been pretty good in my life, but I'm mad. And it's like you ask them, well, why are you mad? Well, because even though I've been pretty good and I've been pretty moral, God hasn't delivered for me yet. I'm still not married, and I want to be married. I've been praying that I should be married. Why should I keep serving him? Or, you know, I've been pretty good. I've been pretty moral in my life, but my parents have never loved me. My parents hurt me. My parents neglected me. Maybe even they abused me. Why should I serve God if he won't just give me at least a basic or happy family? You say, I've been pretty good. I've been pretty moral. I've served God, but my career's in tatters. I've lost my job. My business is going out. I'm not making as much money. I've worked really hard. Guys, listen to me. Religious people go through religious experience to get a desired result, but it's only religion. When you say, why should I serve God if he won't give me this or that? What you're telling me is that the real thing in your life that you're living for is what you're using God to get. You say, I love Jesus, and really it's idolatry. Now, how does this happen? How can even religious people that think that they serve God fall into this deceptive kind of thing? Because it really is. And I pray that as we think about it, there's just a spirit of repentance that, that hits me, all of us. How does it happen? All right, remainder. Let's just finish. Let me give you the reasons for the differences that you see here. Because this parable, it's remarkable. But who's the parable directed at? Simon, the church guy. 
And basically, Jesus is saying three things to Simon, and I'm going to cover them. Number one, he says to Simon, Simon, here's your problem. Your first problem is this. You don't understand the gospel. Simon, you think you understand the gospel, but you really don't understand the gospel. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I wonder about this all the time. You may wonder about this all the time. I know ministers do. I'm going to ask the question another way. What is the nature of authentic belief? For example, if somebody says, I'm a believer, or you say, are you a believer? Well, what makes you a believer? For example, the Bible teaches that God is real. Check. The Bible teaches that Jesus came. Check. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and it teaches that you and I need forgiveness of sin. But you understand, there are always people out there that say that they believe that. I believe those things. Oh, yeah, that's me intellectually. But is that what makes them a believer? Because you look at Simon and you look at this woman and they both believe that. They both check all the boxes. Just go through it. They both believe in God. They both believe they're sinners. The Pharisee actually would have been involved in the sacrifice of sin monthly, the sacrifice for the remission of sin. He knew he was a sinner. Both of them believe that they need forgiveness Both of them listen to Jesus' teaching. The religious even invite Jesus into their home. Are you with me? Can I just explain this in a little different way? Because it's so important we get this. How many times as a pastor have I heard someone say, or maybe you've heard someone say, they say, yeah, I know I'm forgiven. (laughs) So but they're still unhappy, they're still apathetic about Jesus, they're still upset, they're still bored with their lives, yet you have another person who says, me? Forgiven? And there's an eruption of devotion from their life. There's love and there's joy and there's power. What's the difference? Is it because this person over here is living a more disciplined life? Could you say the person that erupts with love and joy that they're just more disciplined or they're more committed? No, because Simon was more disciplined. That can't be it. And here's the problem. I think the problem has to do with, and I'm going to get there, it lies somewhere in the heart of the gospel. What is the gospel? By the way, I've got a couple series coming up in the fall that we're going to do together, and they are going to be tough stuff because we're going to talk about sex, and we're going to talk about money. And we're going to talk about how the gospel has an effect on those things. I think one of Simon's problems is is that although he's religious, his problem is with the gospel. And here's the first component of the gospel. Write this down. He's saying, Simon, you don't understand the depth of your own sin. You don't understand the depth of of how broken you really are. Now, what do I mean? You look at this parable. Go ahead. I'm just going to put it on the screen. It says that there is a woman who is a 500 debtor and there is a Pharisee who is a 50 debtor. Now, I have a question for you. Ready? If you're ready, everybody say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. What is the difference between the 50 debtor and the 500 debtor? According to the parable of Jesus, there's no difference. Look what it says about the both of them equally. It says neither of them had the what? Money to pay him back. In other words, both are totally without hope. Both are in devastating trouble. Here's the problem. Only one of them actually knows it. And only one of them actually believes it. Look at this woman. Jesus comes in and she is broken before him. 
And Jesus comes in and looks at Simon and says, Simon, I came into your house. You don't give me any water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears. You didn't give me a kiss. This woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You know what Simon says to Jesus? You can just see it. Simon says to Jesus, why would I? Because he has no idea how much he needs forgiveness. Do you? Some people think their Christianity, it's all just about a little bit of inspiration. Give me a little extra help. Maybe follow Jesus' example. You talk to people like that, and they say, well, that born-again thing, you know, that's really for the messed up people. That's for the really bad ones, you know, the drug addicts and the people in prison. Those are the ones that really need change, but I don't need change. I just need a little moral reform. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. You want an analogy? Can I give you a morbid PG-13 analogy? Is that okay? Any small children in the room, you can cover their ears if you'd like. Kids today watch Deadpool, so I'm totally cool with this. Here we go, all right? Here's a person today, here's a person who's been murdered. You know, somebody took like a stiletto, a knife, and they stuck it in between their ribs, it pierced their heart, and they died. Imagine that person. But then you've got another person over here who's been murdered with a machine gun. Hundreds of bullets have ripped through their body, and they die. Now, I got a question. Who's more dead? <laughs> who's more murdered? Come on. Now, you know what I just did there? I just gave you a parable. Nobody's more dead. They're both equally dead. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says it doesn't matter if you're a debtor of 50 or if you're in the 500 because neither of them have the money to pay it back. Look at the parable again. You want to know, you want to know about life? Let me give you life 101. You ready? Let's go to this next scripture. It says that Jesus is a money what? Money lender. In other words, everything you have in your life comes from Jesus. Listen to me, men and women, Everything that you have in your life is on loan. Your body is on loan. Your brains are on loan. Your capacities are on loan. Your money's all on loan. Some of you, that offends you because you say, I've worked very hard for where I've gotten. Yeah, but who gave you the capacity to work as hard as you've worked? Amen. Who allowed you to be born where you've been born? Who's given you the strength or the talent to do what you've done? Everything that you have is on loan. It's all God's. God only lent it to you. Come on, you owe him everything. What am I saying? I'm saying you are totally vulnerable. Do you want to know what the greatest illusion of life is? Control. That you think you're in control. You're not. You live in dependence upon a lender. Now, do you know what the definition of all human sin is? I'll give you the definition of all human sin. It's right here. Write it down. Human sin is the desire to be independent of God. And even religious people do this. Oh, I want to be so strong in the Lord. I want to be so mighty in his power. I want to be so strong in the Lord. I don't even need the Lord anymore. Religious people do this. Sin is the desire to deny that everything you have is just alone. You say to me, well, I haven't been that bad. I just say, well, yeah, but by whose standard? Is that your standard? 
And guys, do you see, it is such a deceptive thing because it's just another way to maintain control. You say, how do we maintain control? There's, there's two basic ways human beings maintain control and they stay away from God. Two basic ways. This is an insight. I'm going to give it to you. Ready? The first way is you just deny the existence of God. You'll keep control that way. God doesn't exist. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to be my own master. I'm in control. But there is another way. It's a religious way. You say, well, what do you mean? How? Well, here's how you know. If you believe that by being disciplined or if you believe that by keeping a high moral standard and you've not given in to gross behavior, if you believe that your law-keeping, your good deeds, your good works, and all of that is earning you God's favor, don't you see you're staying in control? Don't you see it's no different? You think that your behavior is what gets you into heaven? You're just staying in control. You're your own savior. You don't even need Jesus. Don't you see that both are ways of being your own master? You're so moral. You're so upright. You're so sophisticated. Good for you. The person who's morally moral, you're the person who really understands the Bible. You don't really owe God. God owes you. Don't you see and the religious way is even more deceptive. Don't you see how shocking this is? Why is nobody ducking because of this grenade right now? That's what I want to know. He says, Simon, even your religion is sin. Do you remember the scripture I used? We talked about the Holy Spirit two weeks ago. I used it. It popped back into my mind. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin. That one's easy. Even unbelievers get convicted about sin, but what else does he convict us about? Our righteousness. What makes you righteous? What makes you holy? Each of us, we have to go into our own heart to see, and we have to ask God to reveal to us, how deep does the sin go? I do. I don't stand in judgment over anybody. All of us struggle with this issue to varying degrees. Can I just speak candidly? Have I not spoken candidly yet? <laughs> if you're here today, let's just think about your attitude for a minute. If you're here today, and this is your typical attitude, you know, things aren't going well in life. You look around and you're like, this is not what I expected. This is not the way it should be. And you wonder, God, why me? I just got to ask you, why not you? What makes you think that whatever is happening to you shouldn't be happening to you? Don't you see the problem with that? Why are you so mad? Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so worried? Why are you not able to sleep at night? You think that you've been pretty good and that God owes you something better? The problem is, you don't understand the depth of your sin. You don't understand how deep it goes. And that's a problem. You're a debtor, and you can't stand it. Well, he says, Simon, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand how deep the sin goes. And for that reason, it always leads to the third one, if you'd write it down. He says, you don't understand the real cost of your own salvation. Because if you really understood it, Simon, you'd be as changed as this woman. My goodness. Look at this woman.
there'd be a repentance. But not just a repentance, there'd, there'd be a joy. There, there'd be a repentant joy. On the one hand, you'd be totally repentant because you realize just how screwed up you are. But on the other hand, you'd have joy because you realize how forgiven you are. Because if you know how deep the sin goes, guys, if you understand what Jesus had to do to cover you to pay the debt, it's no little thing. By the way, the lender. Jesus is the lender. What does that mean? Let's go back to the parable. The lender means that somebody else has to pay it. See, when the lender said he forgave you the debts, I just want to ask you, do you think that somehow the debt went into thin air? Do we have any business majors today? Any business owners? Any entrepreneurs? Anybody here ever borrow money? Come on. Is there anybody here breathing? There we go. How does a debt disappear? Do you think it disappears in thin air? No. You actually can't forgive a debt. You can only transfer the debt. What did it take Jesus to transfer your debt? It had to be absorbed. Now, once you realize that, you'll become like this woman. <laughs> totally repentant, and you start to get a clue of just how loved you are. In fact, as your final point, it should just lead you to this. Here's, here's what I say. What, what is the word, by the way, I said? Vulnerability. That's the key. Am I vulnerable? Am I real? Am I the real deal, broken? And if you are, it should lead to this disposition. Write this down. It should lead to a repentant kind of joy. That's what makes us unique. It's, it's what makes the Christian so different from any other human being in the world. You know what makes the Christian crazy? Makes him insane. Makes him just crazy to other people. Is that on the one hand, the Christian knows they are stupider than stupid. On the one hand, the Christian knows they are the foolish because it's the foolish things of the world that Jesus chooses. We know how broken and corrupt we are. But you know what's crazy about the Christian? At the same time, they're more secure than anyone else. Not because they've got anything together, but because Jesus has paid the debt. There's no insecurity. I am a fool without any insecurities. I'm an idiot that knows they're an idiot, but Jesus has covered me, so I'm okay. That's the gospel. So I just ask you, what's your attitude? Are you more like Simon? You say, okay, how do I know really if I'm like Simon? Well, I'll just ask you, ready? Are you gossipy? Are you crabby? Are you controlling? Or are you like this woman, changed, just willing to give up everything? Are you like the woman that would say, you know, it doesn't matter if my job fails. It doesn't matter if I don't marry this person. It doesn't matter if I have to give this thing up because if I have Jesus, that's all I really need. I'm willing to break my alabaster jar, break it that it would never be used again. Who gives a rip as long as Jesus is happy with me and I have him? How do you know you're a Simon? How do you know you're a woman? Let me ask you this. Do you find it easy to love messed up people? Or do you look at messed up people and say, oh, if he only knew who was touching him? Do you find it love, easy to love broken people? If you're broken, you do. 
you find it impossible or possible to find joy in your life? Or are you critical and complaining all the time? Controlling people, religious people, they find fault in everybody. Well, they're not doing what I think they should do. They're not making decisions the way I think they ought to. They're, you know, they're not reading the Bible. They're not doing church, you know, whatever. I just ask you, look at your life and say, why is that? And then we need to ask ourselves, have we lost touch with the gospel and what it really is? So, can we pray for ourselves? You guys want to do that? All right, let's go to Jesus together. Father, we just take a moment. I love the worship band, and they taught us about Salah. We pause. We just breathe deeply here in a minute, just composing ourselves. But in a sense, we're asking that we would be uncomposed. We'd be worshipful and broken erupted with joy because we know what you've done for us. Lord, make us vulnerable. Help me to be vulnerable. Help me to be a real person that's just needy of you at your feet. God, we thank you. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Just say, Jesus, make me vulnerable. Help me to need you. Help me to want you. Help me to want to want you. I love you, Jesus. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name.